it's a new year, this first Sunday of the new year, um, and obviously for, uh, you know, new year means resolutions for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, one thing, uh, I guess, I, I, I honestly don't know how long it's been. It's been a while, I guess, in, in my frame of reference, but I haven't made resolutions in a pretty long time, probably at least like five, seven years, something like that. Um, and I realized that, like, as I was preparing for the sermon, actually, um, one of, the, I think, a very subconscious reason that I don't, I, ha- I haven't been making resolutions lately is because, I mean, inevitably, like, I fail at, like, fulfilling any of them to, to the degree that I, you know, initially set out on. And it's, it's the disappointment and, like, the incompletion um, that really uh, just doesn't sit well with me. I'm kind of like a perfectionist is kind of how I self-identify in that regard. And so I'm sure some people can relate, you know, like, resolutions is kind of like, Sounds great at the beginning, and then like you know, a month later, three months later, it's like it's either you forgot it or you just feel like, oh, what's the point anymore? Um, and you know, yeah, like I, most people just kind of not most people, you know, I'm not going to say most, but you know, a lot of people face uh, frustration, discouragement when you when either if it's with New Year's resolutions or like just any sort of personal plans, goals, uh, dreams that you have for yourself. Um, and, and honestly, I think it's really understandable because the really just life kind of happens, you know? Life happens, whether it's, you know, kind of just the chaos, the busyness, things that kind of distract you, help you forget, or, um, you know, on on a Saturn, I guess, you know, just things that really kind of weigh you down, things that just really uh, kind of bear on your soul in a way where you just kind of lose sight of certain things or, you know, like kind of priorities kind of start um, shifting around. and, you know, so I, I, this, I was, that was kind of my framework about, like, what passage to pick. Because we're, we're, we're kind of in the middle of hiatus of long series in Romans that we've been doing for a while. Um, so I had to just pick a passage. And, um, you know, I came to this passage in 1 Corinthians 13. And so I really do think that in this passage there's a lot of kind of, I guess, uh, encouragement, a lot of comfort to find um, in what God is communicating today. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to dig into the text. Um, Heavenly Father... Thank you that, that you are God who, you know everything, God. You know what we struggle with. You know what we find joy in, God. Um, and you know what's best for us. And you know that uh, knowing you, being in right relationship with you, is the best thing we could ever hope for. Sometimes we don't even know it ourselves, God. Um, and I, you know, I pray today with um, everyone here, um, whether or not they feel, they feel familiar and known here, God, or maybe they're here for the first time or one of the first times, God, um, I pray that you would be speaking by your spirit in me, um, that it wouldn't be um, me as an individual, God, but it would be you um, as a consistent, uh, ever-present, um, all-knowing, loving God. Um, and so I just thank you for this time, the opportunity to be together as your people, um, to really uh, hear your word, to sit in it, to, to meditate upon it, and let it transform us, God. I pray that you would do that today. I uh, pray these things in the name of your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Okay, so um, 1 Corinthians 13, the, the actual kind of focus of today will be on verses 8 through 13, which is the latter half, um, but we're actually going to read the whole thing, because I think the whole thing really, the, the first seven verses really give helpful context for what we're going to cover today. So um, I'm just going to read us through the whole chapter, all 13 verses of 1 Corinthians 13. Um, It starts like this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong 
or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And this is where we're going to pick up for today, starting at verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So this is a pretty well-known chapter, I would argue, in the Bible, um, amongst the many chapters that there are. Um, and in, in the ESV, the version that I'm reading out of, the version that we read out of on Sundays, it's, it's, the title for this chapter is called The Way of Love, which for obvious reason, you know, it's this big expose on what love is and what love does, right? Um, and so specifically, I, I kind of broke down this 13-verse chapter into kind of three major segments. Um, verses one through three, talking about the meaninglessness of these spiritual gifts, these higher gifts, and all these selfless, you know, spiritual acts without love behind them. Um, and then verses four through seven, which is, you know, probably the most well-known part of this chapter, uh, it just, it's a definition of love, this, this beautiful kind of expose about what love is. Um, you know, and, and it, it clearly depicts um, what I would say is the epitome of selflessness. The love is patient, kind, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and for, for obvious reasons, it's read a lot at weddings. I'm, I'm sure you've, if you've been to a decent number of Christian weddings, you've probably like heard this read. Um, but you know, it, what's interesting is in context of this, this book of the Bible, this passage is not nearly as pleasant as it is actually kind of um, corrective. Um, overall, 1 Corinthians is a letter from the Apostle Paul um, to the church in Corinth, which is a major Greek city. Um, and he planted this church. Um, and he was writing this letter to correct just a multitude of issues. Um, a, as a spiritual authority, as one who cares, the one who planted this church um, and who loves these people, loves this, this body of Christians, um, he's speaking, um, he's speaking uh, truth. Like, like, like a, what, what it says, you know, rejoices in the truth. He's choosing to speak truth and correction um, because he sees evil and, and untruth. Um, and so we're going to dig into verses uh, now, like, so eight, 8 through 13 is what we're covering today, um, and the first major segment of that being verses 8 through 11. Um, and so I'll just read that again. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. 
I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So um, it's also what's helpful is knowing what, what was written in chapter 12 immediately before this chapter because it, it very much leads directly into chapter 13. And, and chapter 12 is um, the Apostle Paul talking about uh, what the body of Christ is. That is the, the church, the, the people of God um, as a whole. And how um, he was speaking specifically in this case to correct um, kind of improper view and usage of the spiritual gifts um, which are given by God. Um, and you know there were issues of, of Christians in the Corinthian church looking at the spiritual gifts as metrics of like spiritual maturity and spiritual um, like superiority and looking down on other Christians who didn't have the same gifts. Um, and so, you know, uh, quickly, to def- in case you're not familiar with the concept, the term, spiritual gifts um, in a general sense, it's like the talents, passions, and services endowed and empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in them, which carries a lot of gravity. Can't get into all that right now. Um, but one of those, one of the implications of that is the Spirit gives Christians gifts, um, gifts to serve the church. Um, I guess like the way, the way I summarize it, for building up the community of faith. And so actually in, verse, in chapter 12, in verse 7, uh, the Apostle Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then in the following chapter where he also kind of hones in on spiritual gifts and the body of Christ, uh, verses 26, he says, let all things be done for building up. Um, so it's pretty clear based on what the Apostle Paul articulates that the purpose of the spiritual gifts is not at all for oneself, but it is for the building up of the church, of the community of faith. Um, and you know, one thing I was thinking about is there's, there's certain kind of, I guess, like movements in Christianity, historically and today, that kind of have different, pers- I mean, honestly, every movement has a different perspective on the purpose of the spiritual gifts. Um, and I would say, arguably, one of the fastest, like, growing uh, movements in Christianity today is like what people would broadly call charismatic Christianity. Um, and just to contextualize, uh, what I'm about to say next is not like a, a, a jab. You know, this is like out of love. Um, what I have to say, like I, I kind of came into faith in kind of like a charismatic tradition, honestly. So I, I'm not like resentful, just in case, <laughs> just to give some uh, um, uh, a caveats to that. But yeah, so, you know, I think charismatic Christianity specifically, um, you know, there's, uh, there's some awesome things about it. There's, there's this deep kind of personal passion and devotion um, that isn't seen in a lot of other kind of like older uh, faith traditions at this point. Um, but you know, one thing that I, I realized as I was studying this passage, kind of like kind of condensing a thing I've observed historically is that charismatic Christianity puts this huge focus on the spiritual gifts um, in, in, in on the personal side of it, the personal experience of the gifts, um, and therefore implying or sometimes just flat out asserting that the spiritual gifts um, they are intended for deepening your own relationship with God. And I think that is a byproduct of exercising the spiritual gifts. I will say that. But I think what's clearly communicated by God through his word is that the main purpose of the gifts is not for the believer who holds those gifts, but it's for the believers around them. Um, you know, and I, th- I think uh, and it, the, the desire to express spiritual gifts, it comes from a good place, I think. It comes from a desire for a, a deeper sense of connectedness with God, um, and it comes from uh, a, a desire to, to, have, uh, to mature in your faith. 
Um, and I think those desires are kind of, in a way, uh, again, not, not, not as criticism, but it kind of like, to me, it reminds me of um, the, the childlikeness uh, that Paul's referring to, it, it, in, in a sense, selfishness, actually. Um, and so I'll, reading verse 11 again, uh, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So, you know, a childhood is, is, is a beautiful thing. Like, honestly, like, like, I prefer interacting with kids sometimes over interacting with adults. No offense to you guys, but like, kids are like fun, and they're like, they're just innocent, and they like, they just love discovery, and they have just this innocence about them, you know? And so clearly, like, childhood is, is something everyone goes through. It's this, it's this wonderful stage of life. It's so formative. Um, so many unique experiences to it. Um, but, you know, I, I, you know that there's a time and place for everything, right? And so both in a, lit like a literal, physical, biological sense, whatever, and in a spiritual sense, um, you know, we're not called to be children forever. Um, you know, God has designed us to mature over time, to grow and develop, to, to see the, all the potential that he's placed within us, to see that realized. Um, and so, you know, being made like Jesus, like throughout the course of your life, that demands that we... Um, continually kind of identify all the selfish desires, and sometimes they're very, they come from a good place, right? It's not like this, like malicious, like I want, I want, I want. It's like, oh, like that is a good thing. I want more to experience more of that. Um, uh, you know, we're called to, to be able to recognize where our selfish motives are, sometimes very subtly, um, and, and to be willing to kind of let those go and have those be replaced with the love that is described actually, you know, in, in, in chapter 13 and elsewhere. And so th that brings me kind of to the first application point of, of, of this sermon. Um, is, and that's simply, we must use our spiritual gifts in selfless love for God and his people. Um, never for, you know, attention, uh, which can happen in these big charismatic gatherings sometimes. Um, uh, not for an assurance of our own maturity. And not, for, not as a measure of our intimacy with God. I don't think those things are totally disconnected, but at the same time, I don't think we should depend upon our expression of our gifts uh, for those things. So, you know, a kind of a, a good complement to, to this whole section is verse 10. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So the perfect, I think, really is just is a reference to Jesus Christ himself. When Jesus comes again, the partial, all these things they've been talking about, the, the prophecies, the tongues, the knowledge, these spiritual gifts, all these things will be no more. They won't be needed because those are all um, expressions of faith here and now. But faith, when Jesus comes again, faith is, is, faith is, is the, tr the trust and the hope in things not seen. Jesus is here and present when he's come, when he's come again. Um, so the, the gifts are for the church now until Jesus comes again. And the new heaven and the new earth that Jesus actually ushers in with him um, that will be a kingdom where we're just worshiping God. We don't need to like have any kind of honestly things getting in the way of that. Um, and so, as 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 wonderful as as our our experience of the gifts are through others, and even for, as we as you know God expresses the gifts through us, uh, that only pales in comparison to the worship that we're going to experience when Jesus comes again. Sorry, I got to make sure voice isn't <laughs> too dry. Um, so now the next section of this text is all at verse 12, um, and I'll read that, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, 
even as I have been fully known. Um, so actually, so one of my favorite bands, they released, the, their last full studio album was a concept album, and it was called Amir Dimly. Um, and I think we have a graphic for, for this, their album cover. Um, so you can see this, right? It's this thick cloud of, of, of blacks, or no, blue smoke, right? Um, and, it, and it just fills the entire field of view, right? You, can't you can see the edges of whatever might be behind there. Um, and I, I love this imagery. And actually, what's even cooler is when you see on YouTube, they have like lyric videos. Um, and it's just this kind of like slow-mo footage of like clouds of, of this blue, thick blue smoke just filling a screen and kind of like slowly moving. Um, so I just love kind of that imagery and how it kind of harkens to what is, is being spoken by the Apostle Paul here. Um, and so, you know, this, this second metaphor, this is the second metaphor used by the Apostle Paul just within these uh, six verses. Um, and, and, and the second metaphor is for until Jesus comes back, everything we encounter in life will only be partially understandable at best. You know, even the things that we have the greatest confidence that we you know, know fully and feel comfortable with, like even those things we may not know as well as we'd like to know and we think we know. Um, and and I, I, essentially what God is, is communicating here is this, he's guaranteeing that we'll have moments in our life where we are stuck just asking why. Um, and we'll not have a completely satisfying answer. We might have partial answers or we might have no answer. You know, the, the question, you know, when, when a young child dies, when, when tra you know, unspeakable, irrational tragedies happen, that's a common question that people are stuck with. And it's really hard. It's really hard. Um, you know, I, I haven't found myself in, in a, as severe of a situation as that personally. Um, but, you know, in general, like when I find myself in these murky, you know, slow moving, slow changing, seemingly hopeless situations, my natural inclination is to be frustrated. Again, like as I referenced at the beginning, you know, like being a perfectionist, it's like this isn't, this doesn't fit together. It doesn't all, you know, fit seamlessly and it doesn't all make sense yet. Um, but I think that that inclination to be frustrated, it reveals a sense of entitlement, a sense of entitlement to, to knowledge and to control. Um, and fundamentally, a sense of entitlement is is like me trying to be God. A sense of entitlement specifically to, to knowledge and control, that's me trying to be, trying to be God, because I, I want, like, he knows everything, he understands everything, but no one else has granted that promise. Um, and you know, it, 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 this made me think back to Paul's description of love, so love is not arrogant, it does not insist on its own way. Um, again, so like the entitlement being arrogance in, in a philosophical sense, you know, you may not intend it to be that. I, I don't intend it to be that way, but that's the way it, it, it is conceptually um, and does not insist on its own way. You know, not only, you know, being like this, doesn't, this isn't working the way, it's like this isn't working the way I want it. You know, it's like you have this particular way that you thought things were going to play out, um, but they didn't. Um, but, you know, there's, this, there's a contrasting statement he makes but then face to face, um, you know? And so I think in, in that statement, in that clause, then face to face is a promise. There's a promise that every person born again in Jesus Christ will one day live in a new and perfect world, standing in the presence of God himself. And, and I, you know, I'm just envisioning the, just the, the absolute radiance of his glory and his holiness. You know, like Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, he talks about that a little bit, experiencing God himself. Um, and just 
how that will elicit just a deep sense of awe, of, of humility, even uh, a holy fear, um, and, and, and a euphoria, honestly, just this, this undescribable sense of joy. Um, and in, in that presence of God, like pain, suffering, malice, death, all these things that we see here and now, it's, it's not even possible for those things to, to dwell in his presence. Um, and, you know, it, you know, as I'm describing it, as I was just thinking of, of it in these, in these terms, it reminded me of the shalom that we were taught, that was our theme for all of Advent, the four weeks of Advent. Shalom being the wholeness and the harmony that God des- designed and is reflective of his character. Um, that's, that's what, uh, you know, then face to face. That's what, that's what I think of. And then the, the, the la- latter half of, of verse 12, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Um, and there's, there's so much just in, in, this, one, in this one sentence. Um, but the first thing that I think is, is preeminent above, like the, yeah, the first thing that's preeminent in this whole sentence is, I have been fully known. Um, and I, what, what I interpret that to say is, God has, has always and will always know us, know us better than we even know ourselves, better than our spouses, our parents, our siblings, any, our friends, anybody that we know. All that pales in comparison to the, the depths to which God knows us, which is, I mean, scary sometimes, you know. Um, but it's comforting too, right? Um, because we all deep down have that desire to be known. Um, and, and what's also important about this is this is true for Christians and non-Christians alike. God is, is, not, a, God is not confined to only knowing um, his children. He knows all his creation, um, and so, you know, he's the one who made us. He's the one who, he knows all, he sees all, he can do all. Um, so he, he has that. He just, by nature of who he is, he has that ability to know our deepest thoughts, our emotions, you know, our fears, our dreams. Um, and, 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 this, and I love thinking about uh, verses four through seven in this context, where, you know, this four through seven depicts really what God's love looks like, what God's perfect love looks like perfect love looks like. It's, 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 it's patient, it's, it's kind, calm, forgiving, celebrating truth, hopeful, eternally minded. Those are all things that are explicitly described about love in four through seven. And so, then I, know, then I shall know fully is, is you know, the clause that immediately proceeds even as I have been fully known. That is, that is what kind of results. Um, excuse me, I have to get some water. <laughs> Then I shall know fully. That's that's an invitation. That's an invitation. Um, that we're pr- that um, you're promised to receive and forever dwell in the perfect love of God by entering into relationship with Him through Christ. Excuse me. This then I shall know. That's an invitation. If you if you do not identify as as one who is in Christ, one who has confessed your sin and recognized that Jesus is the one true Savior from your sin, this is an invitation to you invitation to, to experience and dwell, not, not just experience, but dwell eternally in the perfect love of God that we, that we read in verses four through seven. Um, and so that brings me to just the second application point, um, kind of, uh, you know, this is a kind of a bigger, even though it's one verse, it's kind of a lot of stuff in here. Um, and that second application point, we must accept the reality of uncertainty and no control. Um, um, and and I, I wanna clarify that doesn't mean that like God is telling us all to have like this suck it up buttercup mentality. Um, 
you know, there's n- numerous accounts throughout the Bible of, you know, spiritual giants, guys who just have this insanely intimate relationship with God. Um, and they struggle. They, they openly struggle. Um, they, they're vocal about their confusion, about their uh, frustration, their, um, you know, all these things that, you know, people wouldn't be like, oh, let's, Christians shouldn't do that. You know, it's like, I mean, that's part, that's part of healthy wrestling. That's, that's what all relationships entail, is our wrestling. Um, and on top of that, what's I think also pretty clear throughout the Bible is, is God knows. He knows that we struggle. He knows the things that we face. It's not, to him, he's not like, why are they this way? Like he, he, knows why, he knows why we respond, the way we respond, the way we feel, the way we act. Um, even if it's not what he desires for us ultimately, he knows why. Um, and, and having come down as a, as a human in, in Christ, that, that is a point where he can empathize in a way that no one else can. Um, you know, so I don't, I, I don't think it's fair to say that for some people argue that God is apathetic for, you know, for being up there and not immediately intervening with all our suffering. I don't think that's a fair claim Um, because in a a lot of our difficult circumstances, we are refined. We are made more like Jesus in the midst of our circumstance. Um, You know, I I can say that for myself. Like, it's so easy for me when I'm not struggling with stuff to just be like, just like coasting. And it's like coasting at a really low speed and like being really unproductive. Um, I don't know if you guys can relate with that, but that's definitely my own experience. Um, So yeah, that brings us to the last section, um, verse 13. And so I, th- I think verse 13 actually is kind of a culminating statement, not only of, of uh, chapter 13, but of chapter 12 in a way as well. Um, and I'll read that. It says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And honestly, the first word that I key on when, I, when I'm reading this is abide. Because abide is used a lot, actually, especially in the Gospel of John, one of the four Gospel accounts. And to me, it's, I mean, it's not a word that we really use in our modern-day language. And, like, in the context that's used, it's kind of like this really nebulous thing. <laughs> so I don't know if any of you have, like, kind of struggled kind of, like, really pinpointing a definition of it. But I, I love definitions. Again, control freak. <laughs> uh, but I, was, I, was, I looked up both in the dictionary and, like, kind of biblical dictionaries about the contextual uses of this word abide which is, you know, from this, this Greek word minnow. That's not super important, but, you know, that's, that's the one word that's used. Um, and contextually, it's, it's, def- it's used in the sense of remain, endure, and persist, um, kind of uh, implying in the face of trying circumstances, um, in expectation of eventual resolution. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, not only in this passage, but many times throughout the Bible, it's actually promised that God's people are going to face trials, you know, difficult circumstances. Um, and rather than us fleeing from those things or wallowing in our, you know, kind of in self-pity or some sort of thing forever, um, you know, we're, we're called to persist, um, persist through the trial. Um, and Paul, in this passage, is specifically saying that we per- abide, persist, specifically by exercising faith, hope, and love. Um, and I think in this context, what, he, what specifically saying faith in God's plan uh, for his people and for the whole world, hope uh, in a future of eternal shalom, and love, love for God, his people, our communities, our cities, etc. Um, 
you know, and he, and he finishes this, this whole section, excuse me, um, by saying the greatest of these is love. Um, you know, and uh, you know, that, that just makes me think love, love is, it's what, it's what colors and shapes and directs all that we do. It, it, it colors and shapes and directs our faith, our hope, our joy, etc. Um, and you know, love is a very widely used word. It's used in many contexts about very trivial things, about very serious things. And so that kind of makes it hard. But I think in the biblical sense, love is selflessness manifested. Um, and so, and, and specifically in, in the biblical language, you know, dying to self as Christ died um, and seeking the good of others. Um, and so that the, the third application point, the final application point um, from from this section, from this passage, is that we must persevere by faith in God's plan, by hope of eternal shalom, and by love for God, the church, and the world. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I started by talking about resolutions, um, how easy it is to get frustrated when we fail at them. Um, and, and personally, you know, in the last couple months for me, uh, you know, God has made me very acutely aware of like how my perfectionism is manifesting, you know, through this resolution stuff, um, a lot of other things, don't have time to get into it. Um, but, you know, and, and again, like how fundamentally, and it's not necessarily my intent, but at a philosophical level, at a conceptual level, my perfectionism carries a lot of arrogance to it. Um, like, like I talked about, this sense of entitlement to control in the forms of, of knowledge and competence and influence. Um, and like I said before, this is in a way, you know, or, and, and with, without this intent, this is how I am trying to be God, wrongfully so. Um, and I think, you know, I, I imagine at least some people here are relating with this to some degree. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it seems like this weird meta and uh, like kind of like this meta realization where it's like, I, I, I'm like discouraged by the fact that I get discouraged. That I'm like that I can't that I that I just get discouraged by the fact that I'm a perfectionist and that's like my perfectionism manifesting itself you know it's this weird thing anyway um, you know and so for me and I, I imagine for some people here I think the invitation is um, the invitation is is to not overly fixate um, not overly fixate on my failure on on, on our failures um, because because I view myself too highly essentially that like I can't stand failure because I think of myself too highly. Um, or I expect too much of myself. I'm expecting Jesus when I'm not Jesus. Um, but, you know, I, and, and in that moment, instead of fixating on myself and my failure, um, that's the opportunity for me to remember, to meditate on, on, on the person of Jesus Christ and, and his perfect and his saving righteousness. Um, that he, he's my comforter, he's, he's my role model, he's my guide. Um, that he's able to help me see um, both my sin and, and my maturity, the things that he has made possible good in me, um, uh, and see all those things, the good and the bad, as grace from God, um, by which God can bless everyone, everyone including myself. I, I'm not the focus, but I will be blessed because I'm being used by God in that sense. Um, and so until Jesus heralds in the new heaven and the new earth, you know, that, that's the three application points come in. We must use our spiritual gifts in selfless love for God and his people. 
We must accept the reality of uncertainty and no control. And we must persevere by faith in God's plan, hope of eternal shalom, and love for him, the church, and the world. So let's pray. Um, God, um, it's going to be a long journey, a very long journey. It's easy to know these things in our heads. It's easy to have these desires, God, but the hard part will be seeing them come to life. And I imagine most of us have tried long enough to do it by our own strength um, and seen how that doesn't ultimately work, God, that we, uh, that we disappoint ourselves, um, that we fixate on our failures, God, instead of, instead of looking to your son um, as, our, as, our, as our savior, as our, as our model. Um, so God, I, I just pray that for each of us here today, um, whatever you've shown, whatever you've, whatever you've revealed, whatever you called us into, um, that we would lean on you by your spirit, God, that we would trust your timing, uh, that we wouldn't... Um, freak out because we lose, we lose our own sense of control, God, when we're trying to be you. Um, I pray that you, that, um, that we would recognize that you have grace abounding, um, that, that even when we struggle with, with our failures, God, that, that you are there, um, that you know what this is like. You are not apathetic, God. You are not far off but you are present with us by your spirit, God, and, and, and through your son. Um, yeah, God, I just thank you that um, you give us comfort. You, you, give us, you give us a light to look to. Um, I pray that that would be um, our comfort, our, our joy, our, our truth for this, this year, God, and for the years to come, uh, that our resolutions, our plans, our dreams wouldn't wouldn't be our points of fixation. They wouldn't, they wouldn't condemn us, God, but that you would use them however you might to, to shape us, to make us more into the image of, of Christ. Uh, so I just thank you so much and pray these things in the name of your son. Amen.